an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. But the, but Jeff, one more thing, and this is what I want you to make sure you you don't do today as you are as we're wrapping up. Jeff. Don't yeah. fall on your asteroid. I will not fall on my asteroid, Steve. <laughs> Sorry. We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginners' all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was the fuse, as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. This is actually going to be season six, episode one. Season six, episode one. Can you believe we made it to six seasons? No, no. And that means it's been five years since mom passed away. Right. Do you think anyone even listens to this podcast? Oh, last time um, we said that we got some feedback saying they did. We only got three or four people to say they did, though. So, I mean, I'm not fishing for feedback. No. I like getting feedback, though. Um, you know, I don't fish for These are the things we don't fish for. Um, subscriptions, donations, feedback, or money, or clicks, or whatever. We don't fish for those things. They have to happen uh, naturally. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they, they don't. don't. They don't. Uh, it's okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, we did get some good feedback, though. We will read people's feedback. So if they want to give feedback, that's cool. We've decided to start our new season of Into the Vertical Blank, season six, episode one, by talking about season five, episode one of Different Strokes, a show entitled Shootout at the OK Arcade. Now, do you remember seeing this episode, Jeff? Oh, yes. Any video game related episode we'd watch. But you know what? We watch different strokes anyway. But there weren't that many video game related episodes at the time. Well, then it got us excited, too. But were there? I mean, I remember. Uh, so so um, uh, Silver Spoons, they had video games in the house. All the all the time. But right, all the did time. they play them? I don't remember them playing them or I mean, the dad would play them at the show opening, right? And then he'd ride on the train. 
So I'm not sure. I don't, I mean, yeah, they played them a little bit. I'm sure they did. It wasn't, you know. I know there was an episode of Give Me a Break where the dad goes um, to the to the arcade with the daughter and and like mistakes the video game for pinball. But I I don't. But but that's it. Like I don't remember anything else. Well, we'll find all of the episodes we can and we'll do them in subsequent episodes of our no, show. I've, so. I, that's what I said. But, I've looked and I'm I wonder if like there must be other ep- episodes um down the line that were that were for different i mean we... it was a little bit of a taboo topic because video games were stealing eyeballs from tv yeah no i i do agree with that now this this episode came out in the fall of 1982 in S- september 82 the first episode so it must have been written in the in you know the spring or summer or maybe it was sitting around for a while but it was right after this is this, this is 82 so pac-man had just come out there's lots of uh, pac-man for the atari vcs had just come out so it, it 82 is the big 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 year for video game news it's it's the the big year for news stories also the big year for people um fighting against it you know ptas trying to get video games banned you know people convinced that kids are gonna use their lunch money to go play or they're gonna play hooky from school to go play video games um and it wait but but that wasn't that wasn't untrue it wasn't those things did happen it wasn't (laughs) untrue but it's like any anything that ever happened i mean back i mean back in 19 i think it's 19 oh 1910 1912 you know, th- there are all these news stories about how kids were going to go to the movies and they were going to use their lunch money and they were going to skip school to go to the movies because the movies at that time were like three, four, five, seven minute films and they'd show a bunch of them. Right. And so they were, you know, they're kind of a little bit like, if you think about it, a little bit like video games. They were like little short hits of, of, uh, inter- entertainment and, and kids were addicted to them. And so they were worried that kids, were using their their lunch money to go do it. Actually, kids were, but it wasn't as big of a problem. Pinball was the same in the 30s. You know, it's always been this way. So we've talked about this before, but it's interesting to me that these yeah. things... Pinball jukeboxes at some point, I'm, probably. I'm sure that everything just goes in cycles. You know, stop the kids from being on TikTok, right? Because it's ruining their lives or whatever, which is really just the same thing. Anyway, so... This back to different strokes. I remember watching this one. I remember, I remember seeing it, and I, I swear to God, when I saw it the first time, it the sound effects were the Pac-Man sound effects from Atari VCS Pac-Man. But I must be wrong because <laughs> I think that was on other shows where it was ambient video game sounds. But in this one, I don't remember that. Although I don't recall. I mean, I, you're right that that those Pac-Man sounds were used by Universal though a lot. And Warner, so possibly this is this is CBS. This is this is a Universal act. I think Universal. It was built. It was filmed on Universal Studios. Uh, I know that. Okay, so maybe Warner used those a lot or something. Anyway, I don't. I yeah, I don't recall. But but I would say that you and I heard those sound effects from VCS Pac-Man all over the place and could so every almost every time they made a video game thing. But the uh, you know different strokes was pretty for how silly it was they were pretty hip to what was actually going on well i was gonna say like this yeah like this is the the portrayal isn't 
isn't that bad in in no. this it's actually it's actually fairly like like um knowledgeable and winking in 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 some ways i was i was pretty impressed by it but i wanted to say that like this is a time when nbc had a bunch of shows that we watched including th this one you know F facts of life was also on uh, uh silver spoons was another one and there also were commercials that I remember um, that there would be an Atari commercial on like every Tuesday, I think at nine, nine fifteen or something, Atari would have a commercial either on, I think yeah, right around the NBC newscast. Yes. And, yeah. and we would, yeah. we would yeah. wait for those commercials every week. This is a time when, you know, it's a very, a very specific time in the vertical blank where TV was just sort of addressing and I don't say embracing, but addressing the things that we were interested in. And um, and so I, I remember this vividly because I remember there was going to be a show. There's going to be a different strokes about video games, and I couldn't wait to see what it was about. The funny thing is, back then, um, I thought it was an uneven betrayal that made video games look bad watching it now that's not necessarily the case no it's not the case so let's talk a little bit so different strokes for people who don't know is an american tv show which ran from 1978 to 1986 the plot centered around a super rich man named mr drummond who lives in a penthouse with his daughter in new york city his teenage daughter um, I don't know. Maybe she wasn't a teenager when it started, but she was most of the time during teenager. The whole, um, yeah. When his African African American slash black housekeeper dies, he adopts her two boys, Willis and Arnold. They come to live with him and his daughter Kimberly, who I just talked about. Yeah, Willis is played by Todd Bridges, and Arnold is played by Gary Coleman, who who was one of these one of along with Webster, one of these kids who um, seemingly couldn't couldn't grow bigger than they. Then they were like had a yeah, it's really sad. So what's interesting to me about this show is it's it's one of those um dead parent shows. Um and, and it, it is a white savior, kind of like the white people are gonna save the black kids. It was in in a in its own way, I think it was trying to, you know, not be like racist. Like it like it's it the I think the idea at the time was like white people can if we just let white people see black kids and see how they're just like every other kid, like people will Everything, everything's going to be okay in the world or something, right? And yeah, they will embrace them but, in some way. You know, it was but they, but they, but they had to kill off their parents. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they had to kill off the only adult, the only like adult that would that would, you know, that could tie them to their their history and their, you know, their family history. Right. Um, so it was kind of weird in that way. It was a little a little strange. Now, actually, in this show, um, uh, Dudley does have his normal parents, parents who is who is right. arnold's friend but anyway okay it's just it's just this weird time when when all these shows are coming on the air where like white people would would um adopt well, black kids so so arnold and um webster were two cuddly teddy bears that happened to be african-american children who couldn't grow is there something weird about that yeah yeah no it's very strange i i don't I, I mean, at the time, we even thought it was strange. I think I think the psychological like implications of that are are, are anthropological or are, are are too much for us to even even well beyond well beyond my comprehension as for this podcast. But still, it's a it, little it's odd. a little and odd. It, at that anyway, time. we enjoyed both shows. Yeah. We enjoyed both shows, and and um, yeah, we did. And that, we, we enjoyed both shows because we were like, hey, this is the way things are. You know, I mean, yeah. again, we 
we grew up in the 70s so um everything bad that happened in the civil rights era well that was in black and white and it had already been solved yeah that was in black and white that the, that was in black and white and the funny thing is that so there's going to be that big change between and it has happened from black and white to color that's ancient history and now even now from hd back to standard definition standard definition is ancient history. yeah it's ancient history and that's happened now too we're like, it's not an HD. And really, that's only been 10 years, really, anyway. So um, so this was, this was you know, in, in the zeitgeist, we were solving the world's problems. And this show was right. one of the ways that we were going to solve it. Anyway, um, Kimberly, the daughter is played by Dana Plato, who, of course, is her, <clears throat> you know, her most infamous role is in Night Trap, the video game. And she was the adorable girl next door. Yes. Like for, for every teenage boy, Clint Kimberly was the adorable girl next door. Why why can't we date a Kimberly? The show right. is responsible for spinning off Facts of Life, Silver Spoons, and We Got It Made with Jason Bateman, which only lasted two years. But some people say it's one of the best TV shows ever made. But it's only you it's really, really hard, hard to find. Anyway. Yeah, it's a good okay. show. Season five, episode one, shoot out the OK Arcade. Written by Howard Leeds, Martin Cohen, and Blake Hunter. So Howard Leeds, um, this is interesting because of the uh, the pedigree of the people who wrote this show. Um, Howard Leeds has lots of TV credits, including The Brady Bunch, Barney Miller, Silver Spoons, Factual Life, and Small Wonder. So The Brady Bunch wow. is important because you'll see there's, there's a few ties to The Brady Bunch in this episode. Martin Cohen has uh, credits, including Bob Newhart, Silver Spoons and Who's the Boss, and then Blake Hunter wrote for WKRP and Who's the Boss. Oh, so I mean, yeah. there's there's some there's some some there's some talent in that room in, in that, that writer's, writer's room. room. Yeah, they were not amateurs. Okay, so I know you have comments about this too. I kind of did a little bit more text than you, so I'll just read through it. We open in an arcade. We do. Willis is playing uh, Space Sucker. Um, it's space sucker. It's definitely a fake animated video game, but they did a pretty good job, like making it look a little bit like an, an actual video game. But you can tell there are times when it's not. Interesting that they were actually designing uh, games that hadn't happened yet, because that is a full-on, like, uh, side-scrolling game. Uh, I mean, there is one Vanguard at this time, side-scrolling shooter with a boss. Okay, this is not something. So, like, these guys actually came up with what would be the next big video game thing. They, they did. Now, what's funny though is you see, like, with Space Sucker. So, from when Willis is playing it from the front, it's definitely a Space Sucker machine. But every time they show from the side, he's playing a Donkey Kong machine. And I don't. Oh, yeah. Really? You have to take it. I'm like, it's kind of weird because you're like, I, yeah, like, like, like. I guess they thought no one would notice, but you, yeah, it's. I definitely... read your note on that, but I didn't see that. I was looking for all the machines in the arcade. I saw it again. Um, I saw it the second time as well. Okay, so Willis breaks five hundred thousand points, and he continues to play. And Dudley and so Arnold Dudley and the token white kid walk in, which I he's I think he's a red haired little red haired white kid, right? Yeah, um, they walk in. Uh, they walk away from the machine. Um, Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Miss Pac-Man are clearly seen oh, in the back. So's asteroids. Arnold laments um, in his best Jan Brady about how Willis is so good at everything and Dudley concurs. <laughs> Literally, he does Jan Brady. He, did like, some Jan, like, yeah, exactly. he says Jan, what Jan Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. He says exactly. Willis, Willis, Willis. Exactly. Arnold decides that maybe if he practices really hard, he can beat this dumb game. He goes back to the machine. Asteroids clearly visible in the background, right. just like you just said. 
Arnold then gets the lowest score ever by being sucked into the space sucker right away, which Dudley says to him, you know, you, you made a record, the lowest score ever. Um, and, and, and when Arnold, Arnold is sad. Okay. And do you have anything to add to that? The first scene? Uh, where they show a little bit of space sucker and it is, it rem somehow space sucker remind me of something that would have been in the, um, fat Albert. So fat Albert and the Cosby kids ever, I don't remember them showing video games, but the animation that they had reminded me of when fat Albert did. He did. So on the fat Albert, he had this thing called the Brown That's Hornet. It, of the which, Brown Hornet. That's is, what I was thinking of. Right. Superhero. I was yeah, thinking yeah, of the, yeah. so it looked, to me, it reminded me of the, something like that, like the Brown Hornet. Okay, so so we go to the next scene. Mr. Drummond is is making he's, dinner. And he's they've emasculated him again. Yeah, it, but but it, but it's it's very bizarre because this is just obviously they they had no idea what to do no, with this so, episode. So he's because usually he's off like you know bilking people for money or whatever he does. He's a real estate. He's basically Donald Trump. He's Donald Trump. He's like a real estate magnate who lives in a penthouse in you know New York City. Okay. So Dan and Plato walks in, um, looking very eighties, and her and very, very, and um, Mr. Drummond. very uh, Molly Ringwald almost, uh, also dressed a little bit like an American girl doll. <laughs> yeah, okay, so her and her dad talk about some stuff about the about him making food, which really is just it's just weird, atrocious, weird. Okay, and then he burns the duck. Yes. Okay. Wait. He burns at the deep. They pull the duck out, and I'm like, Jeff, that's from our thing. We, didn't we have that joke? We did, but we did it in 1981 <laughs> or 1980. So yeah, we had it. We had. I mean, obviously, we did that joke because in in every other TV show ever. But we did that. We did a school play called "What Happens When Your Mom Is at Home," and we had that exact. At same what joke point does he yell at her? How would you like a sock with your walk? There's no at some idea. point when he like threatens violence at her. He says well, like he he pulls the duck out and she says something mean and he says. How would you like a sock with your walk? And it's like what? I don't, Jeff. He's he's got some violent. He does. There's something at the end that that I notice as well. Um, we'll talk about that. That I did not hear the sock and the walk thing, but that makes sense because Mr. Drummond is, uh, you know, very violent. I think uh, we, we just don't. We, we we we. It's not on the show, but it's when it's it, it, when it's we don't between see between the doing. lines, Steve. It's in their vertical flank. Okay, so Arnold and Willis walk in. They don't need the duck anyway because they ate dinner at the snack bar. What did they, they eat? Corn dogs. Oh, go on, sorry. Corn dogs. They had corn dogs and chili dip. Yes. And I'm not sure what chili, chili. I think it's said chili chips, I think. But I'm going to. Yeah, but that, maybe not. Maybe it was chili dip. No, it is. It's chili, but they, you, that's what that's what you, that, I mean, you put the chips in the chili. Oh, okay. Dip, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Okay. Kimberly tells Willis they should have come for dinner, but Willis says he could not leave as he set the record for Space Sucker at 700,000 points. That's a lot of points. Then Mr. Drummond says, at the risk of not being with it, what is a Space Sucker? To which Kimberly replies the most horrible line of dialogue in any TV show ever, she says. Yes. It's one of those weird video games, Daddy. No. And now, Jeff I remember that specifically. Go on, you're going to ask a question. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Wait, wait. I, I, just, just hold on. Okay. So she says, it's one of those weird video games, Daddy. And it's like a million voices suddenly cry out, and then there's silence. She destroys the lives and fantasies of literally millions of teenage boys. Of every 11 and 12-year-old boy <laughs> in the world at that time now. and But, you know, the thing about it is, though, I remember it must have, like... It must have put a knife in my heart at that time because it was Kimberly. Oh yes. Um, and 
but and so I remembered it being very acid tongued. But when she says it this time, it's very playful. <laughs> yeah, it's not even like it just. I I thought she was like saying like, "Oh my God, they're so weird," but it wasn't. It was like, "Oh, it's one of those weird video games, Daddy." Not like, but to but as a as a nerd, as a twelve year old nerd or whatever, it was like the the coolest girl on TV just said video games are weird. <laughs> well, then I remember I, I at just about the same time I took a copy of Electronic Games to school junior high and i remember a girl, girl i really liked said the exact same thing said said to her friend like oh it's just some weird video game magazine about electronic games and and i was like oh, oh my god like the, the girls hate video video games which is not true which is not true no not true at all it's just i don't want to assume that all girls hated video games they didn't but, but at I, the time but that's the information i we assumed had. that media might have had an undue influence on in some people's perspectives of them yes and, and parents and and p parents too but but there's two examples and it did happen too it is like okay so so you know we were we were getting it from all all sides yeah we also didn't take a survey of all the girls i know that i know right now i know some from our class who had tar 5200s sure. and 2600s yeah. oh, great stuff but at the time we didn't survey them all we knew was the coolest girl on tv and the coolest girl at our junior high school both thought video games were weird and it was like a crushing blow yeah it's a crushing blow so anyway willis explains the game to mr drummond kimberly asks arnold how he does and arnold says i fell on my asteroid <laughs> i fell on my on asteroid, which is like, I mean, it's a clever, clever line of dialogue. I have, have to say, I mean, it's it's good. Though that riot writers room, they must have thought, oh my god, when they got to fell on my asteroid, they're like, oh, we've got an episode. Maybe they probably came up with that as the first line. <laughs> yeah, the first line is like, what can we do with they fell on my asteroid? Like, what about if Arnold and Willis have a have a have a video game contest? Exactly. Did you? Uh, okay, well, go on because you're you're doing the play by play, yeah. but I have some notes coming up. Okay, um, yeah, let me fi finish the scene. So anyway, Kimberly and Mr. Drummond convince Willis to give Arnold tips. Willis agrees to let Arnold borrow a book he has on how to play the game, which yes. is which is true. There were books on how to play the there were. at the time. There were. Right. Um, Mr. Drummond explains to uh, to Arnold that Willis and he are having a sibling rivalry, and then Arnold says something like, "This this, this is paraphrasing. I'm hit with sibling rivalry just as I got to puberty. Yes. <laughs> then, then, okay, the next thing, though, is really weird to me. Arnold says he needs a $5 loan from Mr. Drummond yeah. to, to, for, for, to go play the machine. And Mr. Drummond acts like he works at the gas station or something. He like, he's like, like I couldn't believe how put out he was for the $5 um, to give to Arnold. It's, when, when he's like as rich as, he's as rich as Donald Trump. <laughs> he does do that. I think it's because Arnold had spent his entire allowance, but also... It's interesting because he doesn't, he may have to look on his face like, I don't want to open my wallet. And, but he does give the money to support Arnold's habit. He does. He does. Like he's a, he's a supportive, he's supportive of his addicted son. Well, he's supportive of helping Arnold and Willis. Helping with the sibling rivalry. Yeah, I overcome the sibling rivalry. Okay. At this point, he doesn't think it's an addiction. So that's the end of that scene. Do you have anything to add to, to, to scene number two? Um, 
I just thought that the uh, the interesting setup that they that they have through all of these. I watched a few more to see what happens in the kitchen at the beginning of every episode, <laughs> and they do use that kitchen set a lot, and it is sort of the anchor to the next three episodes too. I watched the next three, and I watched sixteen and seventeen. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things. I don't know. Maybe we'll go into it later if we ever do something like that. But there's that, the, the comedy begins for the family in that kitchen. And there's a lot of little things like that walk in the knock and the little biting things that happen there. You all, oh, really? Like, <laughs> like these writers did come from adult sitcoms and things like that. And so it's interesting. But yeah, I just thought that. That was interesting opening. We don't hit that kitchen again till the end, um, and and then we get the denouement about the about the show. But it's just interesting to see how these shows are set up, and this show especially how the writers are trying to wriggle their sort of formulaic thing into the video game thing, and how you know a a domesticated Mister Drummond who really isn't domesticated because he can't cook, but he's wearing the the apron, but trying to emasculate him at the beginning. Then they show, ha ha, he really isn't, he really can't do the things a woman could do or whatever it is. It's, it's an odd combination of late, early 80s, late 70s weirdness that's going on in this <laughs> yeah, episode. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, okay. Um, so then they start the next thing. They're at the arcade the second time. Yeah, so next scene, Arnold and Dudley and the token white kid are in the arcade. Arnold has 300,000 point, points of space suckers. I'm not sure how if this how much into his five dollars he is this was, well no this is after one week of practice okay one week of practice so so you would think that if it's 25 i mean if he plays a dollar a day he's out of he's out of quarters by now right this might be his last quarter out of those of those so he says uh, it seems like the machines are a bit different in the arcade but i think it's just filmed from a different angle i noticed that they have two space sucker machines in the arcade well, there's yeah, there's yeah, there's more there's more that's visible. Yes, yeah, there's more arcade games. More than new visible. angle. Yeah, it's a new angle that they come in. So anyway, Arnold Arnold gets three hundred thousand points, and then Willis arrives with his crew. Oh my God, Willis's crew is hilarious. <laughs> so Willis tells Arnold to move aside, and this is the best part. This 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 scene of um, next scene should be an NFT or something. Okay, Willis it's Willis <laughs> Willis goes to play the game, and it is the worst pretend video game playing ever committed to videotape. I mean, you could just tell, like, he's not, not you. There's no machine. I mean, the machine's there. There's nothing turned <laughs> yeah, on. There's, there's nothing. But when when Arnold is, anyway, I will get to it. No, there are two space sucker machines in the arcade. It's possible they just use both at different angles to change it up. Um, right. Anyway, right in the middle of the arcade, Arnold has a full-on lucid daydream hallucination about playing space sucker in an arena full of people. Um, it's it's very similar to the Bobby Brady trick shot. Literally like, the same daydream as Bobby Brady had in the pool shark episode, which is season five, episode 21, The Hustler. It's one of the almost the last episodes, uh, by the way, season five. The episode, it's called The Hustler. Yeah, it's very, very sim similar. There's like a uh, is in an arena. He's doing really well when he when, when he when he hits the buttons, you can you. Like he, when he's playing the machine, like he's not using the controls correctly. He's kind of just hitting all the buttons, but it doesn't matter because it's daydream. But it's it's just kind of right. weird. Anyway, in the daydream, space suckers on Willis's head. Arnold plays the game by pounding the buttons as much as possible. He dreams of beating Willis. The crowd cheers wildly, um, and then when it comes back, there's a centipede machine clearly seen in the back, and a vanguard machine. 
Yes. Arnold then wakes up. He ruins Willis's game and challenges him to a duel in two weeks' time. And the duel is called a shootout at the OK Arcade. So, uh, yeah, and then I said Vanguard is is uh, clearly seen in the background. So there's an interesting thing. There's a cocktail cabinet in the, that some kids are sitting down on. You can't see what it is, but there is visible on that cabinet are books and it it doesn't look like they're they're books that someone would be having school books so quite possibly someone dumped some scripts or something onto that <laughs> cocktail cabinet and they didn't move them <laughs> and then they did they keep around from scene to scene just for continuity i, I know that so that cocktail cabinet comes shows up later too but it's hard you don't know what it is and um, it looks to me like there's a um in the arcade at this in 1982, was there a track and field machine yet? I don't oh, think there was. I don't know because there's a there's a machine that I couldn't tell what it was, but it has those those vertical and horizontal stripes, the red and blue stripes that looked like track and field. So it may have been a stern electronic game. Maybe that was maybe that was Berserk, and it I couldn't. Came tell. out anyway. in September 1983. I'm gonna think that okay. you're talking about Berserk or Frenzy. Probably was Berserk, yeah. Um, anyway, and and the cocktail cabinet couldn't tell what that was, but th definitely there's a centipede one, and and um, oh, there's something by the door also that could be Defender. Anyway, I was just me. I was really into the art game machines in this arcade because oh, they, sure. they showed I them for real. Yeah. They showed them for real. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they cover didn't... them up like in the in the chips episode. They actually showed yeah, the machines. Chips. I'm not sure why they covered them in the chips episode. It was weird. But and, anyway, okay. So in the next scene, uh, Vanguard is clearly seen in the background. Dudley and Arnold are in the arcade. Arnold's practicing, and he decides to not go to school on time to, so he can butt up on Space Sucker. This will make him late the third time in the week. Right. Uh, he tries to sneak in, but the teacher catches him. Arnold tells Dudley. And the token white kid that he got that he broke 500,000 points. And then Arnold lies for no apparent reason and tells the teacher that his dad is sick and has amnesia it, only to drive the plot. Because it may. Yeah, this is a plot device because he could have just said, like, I left my books at home. Well, he did. He makes up a whole. He makes up a whole thing about his about leaving the books in the bus or something. Oh, and having you're right. You're right. He did do the bus. So, Correct. So yeah. the amnesia thing just amnesia they exists specifically so the teacher will call Mr. Drummond at home like that right that's it right exactly but but right here is now i can see like like arnold's addicted to the video game he spent all his money he's skipping school this plays right into the pta mom's hands here right but at this point i think they're really gonna dig into that like i'm all oh my god the end of this is gonna be like video games are the worst thing ever your kids are gonna be truant they're gonna grow up to you know just uh, play pinball in, a, in an arcade and that's all they're gonna do yeah Right. Okay, so that scene ends, and then the neck. Oh, oh in that way. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. So, um, Arnold got five hundred thousand points in his play, and they're learning new words on the board. The blur on the board in class. They're learning the words faucet, recycling, and natural. Okay. <laughs> You have to understand that I took notes on this sitting on the couch with my phone and you took them on the computer. So you have like the script of the show and I have just whatever came to my mind while I was I did, uh, doing it. I did anyway. do this. So next scene, the next scene is the showdown at OK Arcade. The showdown. Willis arrives 
but Arnold wants to leave because he's nervous. Anyway, they play. Very long scene at Fold. It's really long where Arnold Willis play Space Sucker, which actually seems like a fun game, and I think we should make it for the 7800 and the ST. Anyway, Arnold not only beat Willis, but he gets the kill screen at a million points. Arnold actually gets a kill kill screen because he he because at a million points the game ends and you beat the Space Sucker. Okay, I have some notes then about Willis. The space Willis has to like kiss Arnold's butt in front of Macy's or something. And I, I don't even. Yeah, that was if he wins. Yeah, no, but no, I wins. know, but but he... like it seemed like that. That was unnecessary. <laughs> that was unnecessary, right? Like that's what Arnold won if he beat Willis because Willis didn't think Arnold would ever win. What did he won? What did Willis win if if he won? Oh, Willis just won. He he doesn't have to win anything. He's he he there's he knew that he was better than Arnold. Okay, Arnold, like. He's not a very good big brother, I gotta tell you this. So one thing about this is um, when they're playing, they're both using their left hand to control and the right hand to shoot. And a lot of games were set like that back then. Um, where the, so the right hand was the joystick and the left hand was shooting, which is interesting. Right. Um, and that, I mean, and that was just, I mean, Galaga was like that too, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then also, so when, when they're playing the game, there's a dude in the back who is completely scouting the the high school girls and the the little boys. He's a he's got a mustache. Looks like he's 25, and he's there like he almost has the um, the guy who was the program director at WKRP with that that's um, feathered hair. It's like there's no way this dude is this guy way older than anyone else in the arcade. And also, when you're playing this game, you get ten thousand dollars per rock. Dollars, ten thousand points. I'm um, 10,000 points per rock. So to get up to a million, you didn't have to shoot that many. <laughs> no, 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 Maybe that was only the level he was on that the points got. Maybe. Um, and then I had said, this is one of those, a fictional version of one of those next coming, you know, uh, shooters. You know, those exercise scrolling shooters. Because this is almost our type, but in 1982. True. Okay, so... Um... Back at the penthouse, Mr. Drummond gets called by Arnold's teacher, and the jig is up. Arnold is grounded. But there's also a miracle. They don't blame video games. They blame video games, but Arnold, they do blame Rocky. Arnold runs to the top of the steps and does the Rocky um, run down the Philadelphia steps because to celebrate his win. Um, so there, there are, they, they, other movies and other media are being are being talked about and shown, but video games are not shown in a bad light. Okay. Weird. Yes, you're absolutely right. And then the weirdest line of dialogue that goes with the sock and the walk. Okay. Arnold says something like, I guess pleading insanity won't work. And Mr. Drummond says, no, pleading for your life is more like it. Your yes. life your life he's gonna kill like i like why is he writing his life i don't understand this i don't understand i don't know it either (laughs) the dialogue of the show is 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 creepy when it comes to mr drummond mr drummond was pretty evil um he was a nice guy but i you know then the credits roll credits roll um mr drummond teaches arnold a lesson about not breaking the rules to get what you want and he gets grounded yeah. So basically, the 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 goal of this episode was not for these three writers who probably love video games to talk about how bad video games were. It was them just to give Arnold a life lesson about don't lie to get what you want. It was it was a very good, very special episode um, to lead off the season. Now, I want to say that if anyone who's interested 
interested in watching this episode, it is on free on Amazon Prime. Well, not free. If you have Amazon Prime. It might um, be on free, free V2, which is Amazon's free channel. You can watch that. Um, also, I would say, like you said, Jeff, don't miss some of the other episodes to see how they kind of match up to the scenes in the kitchen. And also, we don't have to talk much about it, but episodes 16 and 17 are the very special ep- episode um, that also involve video games and computers, but they have to do with um, uh, trigger warning, child molesters, and Mr. Carlson from WKRP, well, not Mr. Carlson, but the guy who played him, plays plays a predator. But what's interesting is in those episodes, he uses toys and video games, electronic games and computer games to lure the kids in. Yes. Um, and, and what I thought was kind of interesting about that episode, those episodes, is that like it, it's kind of like they were profiling adults who have video games and 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 toys and stuff as people who are trying to lure kids, you know, in trying to groom kids. And if that was true now, like half of Comic Con would be arrested for pre crime if, if this was minority report. So so the, yes. the, the the point is is like at the time though, I think it, I think those episodes, even though they were kind of weird um they actually did a lot of good like there were a lot of things in those that you could look at and go oh yeah that's probably true like they kind of covered all the bases of they covered lots of stuff like bulimia and all kinds of stuff Um, a lot of very special episodes on the on the different strokes but but you know they were whole handled pretty well like it's not a bad show at all um it's i mean it's good we watched all the time we were not wrong for enjoying it when we were 12 years old yeah, it was a, it's a good show. I did I like this episode too. I did not have it was not a chore to watch this episode and and take notes about it. It so. was kind of fun. Yeah, um, I don't like that. Well, I, video games are used in sixteen and seventeen in a different way to show what a child predator might use to lure kids in. Yeah, but he used other things too, so it wasn't just video. No, games, no, and so. it was it, and he owns a bike store stuff. But but I think that was where where like video games are kind of kind of had. That's where they. Maybe they made up for the first episode by showing how how they could be used against kids in the, these these episodes. I oh yeah, I and know. also also uh, because the writer from WKRP probably helped write that episode. Yeah, he probably helped to get her. Or is it Herb? But what's his get name? A, Mr. Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson. Um. Um. But the, but Jeff, one more thing, and this is what I want you to make sure you you don't do today, as you are, as we're wrapping up, Jeff. Don't okay. fall on your asteroid. I will not follow my asteroid, Steve. <laughs> Sorry. Next time I go to your house, Steve, don't threaten me with a sock in the walk. <laughs> I will not threaten you with a sock in the walk. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show, I play a great old game. Then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that, and for free, just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs 
the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hi, this is Ballistic Coffee Boy, host of That Atari Show. On That Atari Show, I feature Atari news, homebrews, game reviews, Atari podcasts, Atari books, interviews with content creators, game developers, and more, as well as have the occasional feature where I focus on one topic or product. On my channel, I also feature breaking Atari news on Atari Newsline, unbox retro goodies on Unboxed, Google over box art and manuals and RTFM, feature general vintage gaming content on BCB, and more. You can find me on YouTube by searching for Ballistic Coffee Boy. That's Ballistic with a K. So get your Java on and let's celebrate Atari from the 2600 on through to the new Atari VCS. Hope to see you there, fellow Atarians. Have a great one. So on that note, do you want to start with some feedback? Yeah, okay. The first one, which I thought was kind of funny, it came from Scott Phillips on our Facebook group for In the Vertical Blank, but it was about the Midnight Magic video that we put online on YouTube. Our unwrap and play or crack the seal. Crack the crack seal. The seal. So, crack so we have the a new seal. series on YouTube called Crack the Seal. Crack the seal. Crack the seal. Crack the seal. Crack it. Crack it, Jeff. Crack the seal. Crack it. Scott wanted to talk a little bit about um, the 7800. Yeah, he said, okay. So I, he said, I have a specific story memory involving this game, which is Midnight Magic for the Atari 2600. Oh, 2600. Okay, got in it. In the early 90s were my peak Atari collection years, and I had a 7800 and tons of carts. In 1995, we were moving from Joplin, Missouri to the big city, Kansas City, where I still live. I love that. The big city. The big city. Where Joplin is. I mean, I bet we could look it up. It's probably, I wonder if some like, I guess it's some like small town and move into the big city. This is like, this is stuff of life stuff that Scott I would bet that Joplin might have a militia. <laughs> Let's find out how many people live in Joplin. I'm going to find out how many people. I'm looking, I'm looking up Joplin right now. Joplin, you look up Joplin, Missouri, and I'll finish this. Um, so uh, along the way, we stopped in Pittsburgh, Kansas. There's also a Pittsburgh in California too, just just in case yes. anybody cares. And there's a um, Pittsburgh in in Philadelphia. I mean, in, yeah, in, in you mean Philadelphia? No, Philadelphia is a city. No, I mean in Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's a yeah, Pittsburgh there, in Pennsylvania. There, Mister Doctor Geography. Because okay, so anyway, along the way, I'm gonna start again. I have a Scott Phillips. I have a very specific story memory involving this game. The early 80s were my peak Atari collection years. I had a 7,800 and tons of carts. In 1995, we were moving from Joplin, Missouri to the big city, Kansas City, where I still live. Along the way, we stopped in Pittsburgh, Kansas, because we forgot something we were going to need, hardware-wise, for the move. I can't remember what. So, so I stopped at the Pittsburgh True Value Store to grab whatever it was. As I was walking around looking for the item, I saw they had a full box of Midnight Magic cards for sale. Well, this is like the mid-1995. Wow. In the clearance section, no other titles, just probably 20 copies of Midnight Magic. Still boxed, sealed, and mint. Became a collector. I grabbed one and whatever else I was in there for, and we got back on the road. 25 cents. Now, 
25 cents. That reminds me of one story, and then I'll t- talk to you a little bit about Joplin, Missouri. Okay. Okay. That the same thing happened to me at the 99 cent store in Redondo Beach, but I picked up a copy of Berserk and a copy of Miss Pac-Man for the 5200 each for a dollar. Do they only have one copy of each? No, they had more. I just was stu- too stupid to buy any more. Oh my god, you should have bought way Steve, more. This than- is in 1995. I, was, I didn't have a. I did just started my job. Anyway, just like yeah, I get it. He you didn't, didn't buy all the 25 cent copies. I only bought one copy of each. Now there may have only been one. So let me tell you a little bit about Joplin, Missouri. While we're here, Joplin is a city in southwest Missouri on historic Route 66. The Joplin Museum Complex has exhibits on mining and robbers Bonnie and Clyde, who hid in the city in 1933. Shoal Creek tumbles over the broad Grand Falls, and the nearby Wildcat Glades are a set of protected glades unique to the area. Okay, so the weather is cold. It has a militia. The 3rd 8th Joplin, Missouri Militia They are a civilian volunteer organization that trains, educates, prepares, and responds to disasters and defends. There's no more info. There's no more. It's just that's it. But how many people live in Joplin? Population of Joplin is 51,762 people. The size of Manhattan Beach, basically, that we grew up in. There are next to feedback, and I can't discuss all of it because it was a private conversation. But Ed Salisbury from uh, Mission Ed Possible had uh, sent me some messages back and forth, and we talked a little bit about uh, deaths in the family. He's sorry that John had passed away. And Ed right now is getting into a whole bunch of videos on his site playing the various games from the 2600 early years and doing a uh tiers doing a tier list on which games are the best which games suck but they use like a b f g d i don't know you've seen those tier charts before right steve i have no idea what you're talking about okay so there's a thing called a tier chart that they do that's like a big thing i guess it started on I'm probably not on YouTube. And they people take like a set of items, like all the games made for the Sega Genesis by a certain company or all the rock bands from Missouri. And they put them in a tier list. So like, there's like, I think it's S at the top, which is the greatest ever. In the, and then there's A, B, C through whatever. And they just make like a chart of, of these by putting them on a chart. And at the end of it, all they have is a chart. But... Wait, but, and S is the best ever, and then A, B, C, D, You know what, F, I don't... I, I like don't, grades or something? You know like, what? Okay, let me go through the... Let me look up tier, the tier chart. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at one right now online, and it still doesn't make any sense to me, so... Doesn't make any sense to me either. I'm just telling you that, that Ed is making them for Atari cartridges. So, that they made a tier list for... And there's tier lists a little bit of this. So, and there's a tier maker that you can use to make tiers. In essence, you know, I see. it just lets you categorize things from best to worst. That's is all. this something they teach kids in school these days? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. But it is something that I've seen in various, uh, over the last year or so, happening on various YouTube channels and elsewhere. So, anyway, okay. um, Ed, cool. Ed, um, Ed is into programming. Very interested in the 2600 stuff we're doing. May want to uh, make a game with us. Hey, Cool. Okay. Cool. Well, we'll be talking a little bit about 2600 programming in, in, later. Then we got David Schmidt 
on Twitter. And David Schmidt is the cool dude who I played a little bit of Atari 50th multiplayer over Christmas. And Dave said, just listening to the new podcast, sorry about your cousin. Funny to be walking down the street and hear you talk about our Atari 50th multiplayer session. Let's do it again sometime. So yes, Dave, I think we need to do it again. I think now that you proved that you can do multiplayer with any game on Steam because you can do the shared stream that it's that it really can be done with anything. So you could any game that's on there. So that's pretty cool. Before we get to Brian Bolding's recorded feedback, we have a very interesting one from ChatGPT, Steve. From um, at Cool on Twitter. He made a, uh, he used ChatGPT to make a song about the Into the Vertical Blank, which I think it, is hilarious. It doesn't have his name on here, but he is from Melbourne, Australia. Right. Okay. Verse one. <clears throat> here's, the, here's how the song goes. Started out with the 6502, so simple and so neat. A chip that powered my world with pixels so complete. From basic to assembly, the games they never ceased on my Atari 8-bit I was truly at peace. Chorus, into the vertical blank where my imagination roamed. With the keyboard in my hand, I was never alone. The pixels danced and sang as I lost myself in code. On my Atari 8-bit, I was home. Verse 2, I remember River Raid and the battles I fought. In Rescue on Fractalus, I explored what I sought. With my joystick in my hand, I was king of the land. On my Atari 8-bit, I was truly in command. Then the chorus again. Into the vertical blank where my imagination roamed. With the keyboard in my hand, I was never alone. The pixels danced and sang as I lost myself in code. On my Atari 8-bit, I was home. Bridge from Frogger to Space Invaders, I played them all. The graphics and the sounds, they always enthralled. A computer that I loved through the good times and the bad. On my Atari 8-bit, I was never sad. Chorus, into the vertical blank where my imagination roamed. With a keyboard in my hand, I was never alone. The pixels danced and sang as I lost myself in code. On my Atari 8-bit, I was home. Outro. So here's to the machine that started it all. A computer that I loved through its rise and fall. With its pixels and its code, it still stands the test of time. On my Atari 8-bit, it will always be mine. F***ing brilliant. In fact, we got to set that to music somehow. Anyway, that was awesome. That's really good. Maybe now, I bet, though, as I've seen with ChatGPT, you could probably ask it to say, give me a song about an Apple computer and into the vertical blank, and it would be nearly the exact same song. Because it really, when you get really specific, it starts repeating itself. I'm not saying it's fantastic that ChatGPT did this or that there aren't faults with ChatGPT and creativity. I'm saying that whatever he delivered to us is awesome. Yeah, so I, I, that was whether or not Daz Cool changed some of this to be specific or not. I don't care. I care <laughs> that he gave us a song about Into the Vertical Blank, and it's awesome. Yeah, it is. I don't care how it was created. Okay, we do have uh, something we can share now. Um, that is feedback from Brian Bolding. He had contacted us and told us a, a really 
nice story about um, his cousin, his own cousin, John, and his father and how he survived through all kinds of really difficult times, came out another side, and now he doesn't have any regrets, doesn't want anyone to have regrets when they do things, and, they, and he really wants to spend his time helping people who went through the same problems he did. Hey guys, it's Ballistic Hoppy Boy, BCB, aka Brian, uh, your uh, other brother from, up from another mother. <laughs> Just wanted to uh, leave you guys some feedback. I know this might be a little long, but I wanted to apologize in advance. I meant to send in one for your last episode uh, entitled John. And uh, life happened, and um, I'm in grad school and I work, so I work and go to grad school a total about 60 hours a week. So I'm pretty busy. And then the YouTube show, of course, shows, I should say. Speaking of which, I hate my promo. It, I don't like the sound quality, so I'm gonna make another one for you. But I, I wanted to say I appreciate you guys so much for supporting me and uh, whatnot. And um, uh, Tony is not the only listener of your show, excuse me. I also listen to it. So <laughs> you have at least two certified listeners. Um, and many more. You guys are incredible. And thank you for what you do um, for the Atari community. It's fantastic. I talk about you guys as much as I can on my uh, on that Atari show. Um, whenever you have an episode out, I make sure to include it and tell people about it in my podcast blast segment, along with Ferg's and many others, uh, because uh, just some great stuff. So thank you. So when I heard your episode, uh, John, it uh, immediately hit me. Um, because we have kind of a parallel story going on there. Um, my cousin John, um, a.k.a. John Darren, we called him. Um, I called him Darren, but his real name is John Darren. Um, he was an actor. And uh, just really quickly, I want to tell you his story because I feel like it's important. Um, growing up in the early 80s, John Darren, my cousin, uh, he was about 10 years older than me or less. Um, so we really had nothing in common. You know, he was the older cousin, you know, and by the time I was eight, he was 18 and out of the house already, you know, at his, uh, parents' house, my uncle John and his wife, uh, Betty. Um, so, um, he was always kind of older, you know, one of those older cousins that you kind of look up to a little bit. And John had bright red hair and would, um, thanks to the Irish side of his mother's family. And uh, he'd walk into a room and he just had that charisma. You know, everyone would look at him and he was charming and uh, he just, you know, had all of those kind of qualities that I don't feel like I have. Um, but um, he's just, uh, he was a cool guy to know, you know, um, had that kind of swagger, you know, and uh, just kind of an infectious laughter and, um, he had no limits, just like me. That kind of runs in our family a little bit, thanks to our dads. So our dads were brothers. My dad was Tom, and um, his dad, uh, I'm sorry, my dad's brother was John, and um, that was Darren's dad. Um, so I grew up with John's family, but Darren already moved out of the house. So Darren's daughter, um, Andrea, and I were around the same age. She was a year younger. So we grew up together playing Atari and Nintendo and all that stuff, right? So lots of good memories there. And watching classic TV on Nick at Night and Nickelodeon when we were kids. Um, we saw like every 1950s and 60s TV show all the way through. Like we can still sing the theme song to the show Mod, for instance. <laughs> so anyway, and then she got into guys and I didn't hear from her for a while. So, but anyway, um, so back to my story. Um, 
so uh, I I've been clean 25 years um, back in back in 93 to 97 or 8 um, I was a drug addict pretty hardcore and um, about 26 years ago I decided to get clean so I've been clean now about 25 years or so I would say and um, anyway um, so I'm telling you about that because uh, my cousin John had a secret um, he was um, a heroin addict and uh, his mom and his family would, you know, every time Darren came into town, I should say John Darren, um, I'll just call him Darren from now on, but, um, Darren would come into town and it was like an event, you know, Darren's in town. Oh my God, we have to hang out and oh my God, it's so cool. And every time he came into town, it was an event and I always kind of envy that. And, um, yeah, he was living in Minnesota and New York at the time and he was an actor and, um, uh, you know, he was doing lots of plays in Minnesota and New York. And, um, apparently I'd heard these, some of these stories later in life. Um, apparently John Darren had met a Calvin Klein model or someone and fell in love and got into drugs. And apparently John was, um, he was, um, acting scenes, uh, through, uh, this, through a TV show in the late eighties called LA law, which I'm sure some of you know. I think Corbin Burnson was in that or something. Anyway, so apparently John got caught with drugs and got blacklisted from acting and doing plays. And so this information came out later and I was bummed to hear that for sure. At that time, I was already um, 18, 19 into drugs myself, not heroin, but um, everything else. And um, a couple of times, John, Darren and I hung out um, we did not, uh, use together or anything, but, um, uh, you, you know, I always wanted to be close to John. He was that older cousin that I wanted to be like, and I wanted to be close to, and he was just so distant at times, you know, some of that was his drug use and the fact that we were 10 years apart. Well, later in life, we got closer, so that, that's good. Um, but apparently fast forward, long story short, <laughs> um, uh, the story goes, uh, John um, was in the Virgin Islands visiting um, his sister Stephanie, who we call Shay. He was visiting her out in the Virgin Islands and apparently got beat up with a hammer. I'm not sure exactly all the details of the story, but some of us in the family thought that it may have been a drug deal or whatnot um, gone bad. So um, he had a lot of surgeries and came back. And this was, I want to guess, maybe early 2010s or so. And... Um, so, uh, fast forward a little bit and we'd see John over the holidays. He'd be staying with his parents sometimes coming in out of town. And, and then he was just living with his parents, my uncle John and his aunt Bet and my aunt Betty, his wife, Betty. And apparently, um, John was standing in front of his parents one day and grasped, um, his heart and, said, oh my God, I'm sorry. Um, and he fell over and pretty much died right there in front of his parents. And um, his dad was suffering with uh, dementia at the time, my Uncle John. And so that was a terrible thing to hear and find out about. And, um, you know, it's really kind of affected me and um, in my life, you know, that I didn't get to spend more time with him. 
as I said, he was that distant cousin. Another part of the story is back when I was 14, me and my older sister found out that we had a half-brother and sister and that our half-brother had just died. And I talk about a, this a little bit in my series I do called Storytime on my channel, which is kind of hidden because I'm kind of working on it, but you can find it. I kind of tell my... Um, uh, I read from my journals and kind of my life story a little bit. Um, and Some of it's fictionalized, but a lot of it's not. And so, um, but yeah, so we found out we had a half-brother, as I said, named Tommy, and he had just died in a car accident in like 88, 89. So we went to Tommy's funeral in Arkansas, and I was devastated because I always wanted a brother. And I found out I had one, and he was dead. And when my sister Christy was born in 85, they told us she was a boy, and she came out a girl, and that devastated me years before that. But I always longed for that connection. I think with another guy. I never really had any close guy friends for a long time. And um, the ones that we moved around a lot as a kid. So the ones I did have, I didn't have for long. So anyway, we went to Tommy's funeral in 89. And my cousin John, Darren, was there. And he grew up with Tommy. Um, apparently, these were kids from my dad's previous marriage. And his, um, my dad's, um, I think my dad's, um, ex-wife's family would send him yearbooks because we would get these yearbooks in the mail with these redheaded kids and circled. And I was like, who are these kids? Um, Tommy and Deneen, who are these people? Um, and I didn't even think that we looked alike a little bit. It was weird. So, um, it was kind of a secret. My mom and dad told us and um, went to the funeral and there was John standing over Tommy's casket and they looked just alike. Both had red hair, kind of pale kind of Irish skin you know or whatever and so that was kind of devastating that really affected John as well and myself and um I'm I'm actually really close with my half-sister now which I wasn't back then um I was kind of angry at her for some reason <laughs> so anyway fast forward so yeah John unfortunately passed away and it affected all of us and we miss him every day and so um, unfortunately his dad passed away of dementia a couple of years later. Um, up until then he would, he would ask his wife, where's, where's Darren? Where's Darren? And you know, where's John? And he, you know, my aunt didn't want to tell him that he died every day. So she just ended up saying that he's, he's, he's on vacation or he's busy because every day she felt like she had to break his heart to tell him that his son had died, you know, and that was just kind of a heartbreaking piece of a story too, unfortunately. And so anyway, when John passed away, my dad, that was his best friend, my dad started going downhill. My dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which is a stage, a staged progression um, into, you know, that, that kind of madness where you, where you forget some of your loved ones and other people and, um, but John had dementia, which is not staged. It's all over the place. So uh, he had a kind of a rougher time. So anyway, when, when my dad um, had Alzheimer's, he would often ask about his brother John and his nephew Darren, and it, it, was, it was heartbreaking. But um, anyway, so my dad passed away in my arms in 2019, as I, I may have said on your show before, and um, we have had no regrets in life. Him and I had a rough time of it. Um, we had a few years when we didn't talk um, because of who I was and different choices I'd made and the, the drug situation didn't help back then. 
But um, whenever my dad passed away in my arms in 2019, July 2019, we ha I had no regrets. And I knew we'd resolved everything. And so I always tell people that story because I want to get across that if you do have any beef with anyone in your family or friends, make sure to resolve that if you can, because you never know what's going to happen, you know, um, if they're going to be gone one day. And you don't want to have that regret. So that's kind of a word of advice I give people because um, I, I'm just so grateful I didn't have any angst or anger against my dad. We'd resolved everything, like I said, and became best friends for the last five, ten years of his life. So, um, um, He was also my biggest champion. When I graduated um, with my first degree in 2019, after he'd passed, um, I, I felt him all around me, you know, at the graduation ceremony in Phoenix at GCU. I, I felt him all around me, and it was just amazing. And so I, I don't have... I don't get sad about my dad's passing anymore. I just smile because of the good memories. And so, and I think not having any, uh, um, any unresolved issues definitely helped. So, um, anyway, that's that story. And, um, I just wanted to get that out there. I also wanted to say, I used to want to get into it myself and computers, but because of my life's journey and being a former addict, I, I now am in school to be a clinical mental health counselor and I graduate this May. And I might even go on to get my PhD. So, um, because I, I want to, my goal in life now is to help others through drug addiction and depression and um, identity issues, things like that. So I, I'm, I'm excited to do that with the rest of my life. And I really owe that all to my journey that I went through. You know, um, really, um, it was terrible. But um, you know, I was homeless at one point, living on the streets in Dallas, in you know the mid to late nineties at different points. And, um, I, I just feel like I can help others with my knowledge and insight. And now I've, I know so much more. Um, so anyway, just wanted to um, have a good end to that story. Um, and then, and in John's name, I do this too. And my cousin John's name as well. So as well as our dads. So now that happy story's out of the way, I wanted to give some feedback really quickly. Um, I had a list here. Of course, I don't have any more next to me, but I wanted to say you were talking about Atari 7800 homebrews. I actually interviewed Bob DeCrescenzo on that Atari show a few months ago, and I didn't know, but he's done 20 to 25 Atari 7800 homebrews, um, one of those being Pac-Man Collection, and he's just done some great stuff. So I wanted to definitely plug him. You can find him on Atari Age, Bob DeCrescenzo, and he's the nicest, most humble guy I've ever met. So um, he is really a powerhouse in that community. So please check him out. I also wanted to say, um, you were talking about, um, well, I, I wanted to say, you know, you guys and I often talk about the arcade one-up cabinets. I actually did get the centipede cabinet, just like, <laughs> just like you guys have. And um, I had to get that. It was on sale. I got it. I'm also probably just about to get the Atari Star Wars 40th anniversary cabinet. There's very few left and I'm going to buy it here in a couple of days. More than likely knowing me, I'll already have it set up by the time this comes out and I've already reviewed it possibly. But uh, I just wanted to put that out there. Um, I'm still loving the cabinets for sure. Um, definitely, you know, the screens definitely could be better. I agree with you there. Everything else about it, I pretty much love. So, um, so yeah, I wanted to, um, uh, talk about that. And also, um, I wanted to say, um, uh, let me get my little, 
slip the paper real quick because I'm losing my mind here. Um, one last thing, guys. I'm sorry this is long. Um, the last thing is you were talking about people hating on the ST. And I kind of talked about this recently on that Atari show and Atari Newsline Newsflash that I have, my little news show. There are people out there that just like to hate on Atari, and it's sad. And, um, and overall, we have these people in every community, right, on YouTube and other places. And on, on YouTube, I started referring to this as click hate. It's pretty much click hate. When someone has a title saying um, Atari VCS is dead or, you know, Atari is doomed or being sold or, you know, there are so many things that people could put in their title. They, they basically, I feel like they're doing that for views to appeal to those people that also hate Atari. So it's kind of a big hate um, meeting and it's terrible. And I vowed on my show never to... Um, to give any negative speculation on the VCS, you know, because as we know, they're looking for a new manufacturing partner. But um, I vow to never give out any negative speculation. I'm just going to report news and have fun with these systems. So um, I can't stand click hate. I hate it. So um, I hate click hate. Um, hashtag. So um, yeah. But anyway, just wanted to say I appreciate you guys so much what you do. Um, I, there's a few other things I could talk about later, but I wanted to get across those things to you. Thank you so much for a great podcast. And I will be attaching a new little bumper for my show because I hate the one I have that was made in a hurry. But um, thanks guys so much. You're, you're my Atari brothers for life. And so is Tony. <laughs> have a good one guys. Bye. Wow, Brian, that was a fantastic story. Thank you very much for uh, sending it in. And obviously you are definitely one of the brothers from another mother from uh, Steve and I and um, Tony. Yeah, totally. So that was about 15 minutes of feedback. And, you know, we couldn't really edit it because we just wanted everyone to hear Brian's entire story. It's a fantastic story. Okay, on to the next subject, Steve. Yeah, the next subject, uh, programming. Programming. So where are we headed for the first few? We don't, we don't have the roadmap in front of us for how long it's going to be. But when we start getting to programming we are going to be focusing on one particular system yeah i for a few episodes yeah we decided to do the atari 2600 because we really have been kind of pushing that off for a long time programming and assembly language using oscar toledo's atari 2600 programming book that just came out and uh not going through it in on the podcast but no. using it as an inspiration to build some different games um that's that's what i think is the best thing to do um, i really think you know one of the things that's been holding me back a bit is just being able to go back and program the 2600 for real using assembly language right i did try be atari i you know i had a story a few a couple of years ago called how the atari 2600 almost killed me it's on youtube and it's about using be atari and be atari is good but and, and don't get me wrong, it, it it it's a good introduction into what you can do with the twenty six hundred. But um, it also feels very restrictive. And I really enjoy what I, so far what I've seen in Oscar Toledo's book about controlling the entire machine. I mean, it really is sort of. I mean, it literally is controlling the vertical blank. It's kind of where we need to go. I think with what we talked about five years ago when we started season one. And it, we really wanted to control the vertical blank. And that really means at programming for the most part, but also 
really getting into it with assembly language and from yeah. various platforms. And the best way to get good at assembly language is to practice assembly language. That's right. And so that, I think if I don't do that in my life, I'm going to be very disappointed. So I think that's what I want to do. Yeah. So I, I so starting, it may not be starting next time because we know we have some other things uh, planned, but starting with our programming, we're going to be starting with, the 2600. We'll be talking a lot about Oscar Toledo's book and about 8-Bit Workshop because I have his book also, and I'm going to be doing my programming on 8-Bit Workshop. So we will be talking about both of those. I'd also bit. like to talk a little bit about Chasing the Beam. Which the, and you know, Chasing the, the Beam. Yeah, so the we'll book. talk about those good books and give people a reading list if they want to go purchase them. And we will be talking a lot about the 2600 and then eventually we'll be moving on to other Atari systems. The other thing I know is that Joe DeCur keeps saying he's going to write a book, book about the 2600 i i want to Not ask the him 20, 20 he wants to eight he's want to do one on the 800 oh on the 800 okay yeah. um but it'd be interesting i thought he was going to do something about the 2600 but that's okay we've got three good resources then we can talk about all three and also um get into it but that's not all we're going to be doing that'll cover some of the programming aspect of the podcast for a segment of each podcast hopefully we're devoted to programming in a way and we're going to start with the 2600 right right cool okay okay well until next time steve into the vertical blank literally into the v blank you know what we have and we have a song coming up from tony right now here's tony's uh introduction to his patreon and then a new song from tony long Hi, this is Tony Longworth, UK dark alternative music composer and all-round Atari nut. Make sure to check out my Patreon music campaign. That's patreon.com slash Tony Longworth. Lots of free music over there. And if you can afford a dollar or two, please help me continue to write music. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast and supporting Into the Vertical Blank. And I hope you like this piece of music of mine.
into the vertical plane. Rocket Studios production.